Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, we believe that God gives us a desire to grow, and according to the video, sometimes that can lead us to a weird place. But we're talking about growth plan, developing a life that matters, and what we really want to focus on is the area of growth that matters the most, your faith. Why is that so important? Because we know that faith is at the center of your relationship with God. And why is that such a big deal? Because without it, it is impossible to please God. And if we want to have a relationship with God that grows this year, this is the area that God invites all of us to improve this year, is our confidence, our trust, and our faith in God. So I'm encouraging this year to consider, I'm inviting you to memorize this verse because I believe it's so pivotal in our faith development to have verses like this that we can recall and this is one of those verses that if you'll memorize it, it will be a tool for you in the days and weeks ahead. And it's this verse, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And because of my mighty hand, God says, Instead of yours, Moses, instead of yours, Mark, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Exodus 6.1. Would you say that verse out loud with me? Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Exodus 6.1. That verse reminds us of two things. Number one, God is in control. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he is. And this verse gives us perspective that no matter what, he's in control. Number two, it reminds us that there is nothing beyond his power. And that's really important to keep in mind. There may be things beyond your power and my power, but there isn't anything beyond his power. That means we can trust him. But, and here's the question we're going to wrestle with today. How do I trust a God who lets bad things happen to me? How do I trust a God with the circumstances some of you may be facing, with the season of life some of you may be in? How do I trust a God who lets bad... You don't live long before you discover that there are bad things that happen in this world, right? I mean, we just saw last night this tragic shooting in California. We saw, uh, you know, these protests in downtown Atlanta. We see the Russian war in Ukraine. Like, we look in the mirror, Right? And we see badness in all of it. We're capable of, you don't live long without experiencing brokenness, without experiencing pain in this life. And the question is, how do you grow in that season when you're going through the tough seasons of life? <clears throat> there are defining moments, aren't there, in our life. And there are positive ones and there are painful ones. Right, there are positive ones maybe where you, you got that college scholarship or, or you ended up getting married or you had the baby or you got the promotion, you joined the military and good things happened. It was a defining moment in your life. But there are also the painful defining moments, aren't there? When someone dies that you love, when you get a divorce, when you get the illness, 
when you lose the job, when you experience the broken relationship or the betrayal, and all of a sudden you're in one of those painful seasons of life. And most of us, if we're honest, when we hear stories of faith, I hear more stories of the painful defining moments growing people's faith. It's one of those seasons where you say, I would never want to go through that again. I wouldn't want anybody else. I wouldn't wish it on my best friend, but I wouldn't trade anything for what I learned. That's why C.S. Lewis in his great book, The Problem of Pain, wrote this quote. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So that's what we're talking about in this series. If we're going to really grow our faith, if we're serious this year about taking a step forward in growing the area of life that matters the most, we're talking about five things that grow your faith. In the first week, we saw personal ministry. By the way, thank you, Sean, for mentioning that questionnaire. If you haven't done that yet, man, make sure you let us know. We want to hear from you so that we can do this well in this next season of campuses. And the bottom line is, it'll grow your faith. This is the beauty. No one has great faith that doesn't serve others to pour out for their faith. Secondly, we talked about providential relationships last week. Important to get in a group. It's important to be in life with other people. This is how God grows our faith. We need each other. And then today we're going to talk about pivotal circumstances. Now, both of these are proactive. This one's more reactive. The unfortunate thing about pivotal circumstances is you don't get to schedule when these things happen. You don't get to go, you know what, I'm going to schedule the last half of this year. We're going to have a tragedy in the family, so I'm just going to clear my schedule now. right? You don't get to do that. These things show up, and we don't know when they're going to happen. But what we know is we need to be prepared for the inevitable, painful seasons that we're all going to experience. No one gets out of this without those painful experiences. So we recognize the reality of it, and we position ourselves for it. Here's the surprise, though. It's not the circumstance that determines our faith. Instead, it's the conclusion we make about God during our pivotal circumstance that drives us to or away from God. See, people would say, well, it's because of this thing that happened that drove me away from God. And somebody else over here would say, I had the exact same thing happen and it drove me to God. It's not the circumstance that determines our faith, but our conclusion about God in those circumstances and if you're new to faith if you're new to church and you're here today and you're like you know what I was thinking about Jesus because I just thought my life would be better I just thought it would be a little bit easier there's a lot of people in here that would say your life will be better but it definitely won't be easier the pain of this life is a reality for all of us whether we follow Jesus or not now having said that I want to compare two people who had difficult circumstances, and they are Steve Jobs, name may be familiar with to most of us, and Steve Saint, a name that's probably unfamiliar to most of us. Both had experienced painful, defining moments in their life, but they made different conclusions about God, and that determined their faith. Well, first, let me start with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, who at the age, the young impressionable age of 13 saw this picture on the cover of life magazine in 1968 of these two children who are from a war-torn country in western africa where more than a million people had died from civil war and famine and it so rocked steve's world as he came face to face with the brokenness of this world 
that he decided to take this magazine to his Sunday school teacher on a Sunday, and he put it behind his back, and he asked the teacher, Teacher, if I were to hold up my hand and I were to hold up a finger, does God know in advance which finger I'm going to hold up? The teacher said, well, of course, God knows everything. And he pulled the magazine out and he says, well, does God know about this and what's his plan with these children? And Steve Jobs never went back to church again because during his pivotal circumstance, he concluded that God was not faithful because of what he saw and the pain and the brokenness in this world. In contrast, there is a man named Steve Saint. His dad is Nate Saint, and this is a picture of Nate to the left, Steve's dad. This also appeared in a Life magazine article back in the 50s, and Steve's dad, Nate, was a missionary along with four others to eastern Ecuador. The reason that he went there was because they wanted to share Jesus with people who had never even heard the name of Jesus. But this tribe was very antagonistic toward outsiders, so uh, Nate, Steve's dad, along with some other missionaries, decided they were going to fly in a little plane, and, and Steve's dad, Nate, would fly over this tribe, and they would drop down buckets of gifts trying to establish a relationship, and eventually, in January of 56, they landed the plane about four miles from the tribe, and this is the very first time they actually interacted with one person from that tribe, and one man came to Steve's dad, Nate, in this picture. And here they begin to try to build a little bit of a relationship. But sadly, two days after this picture was taken, ten men from that tribe came and speared and killed all five missionaries. And a couple of days after that, the rescue team went in, and here is the other picture on this very site where the plane and all five missionaries were killed and their bodies found later. Needless to say, this was a painful, defining moment in Steve's life. And during his pivotal circumstance, he concluded that God is still faithful. And as a result, he went back and joined the same mission effort when he became older. And years later, many of the tribesmen became followers of Jesus. Steve Saint was driven to God. Steve Jobs was driven away from God. And I would not sit here and stand here and be critical of Steve Jobs for his conclusion because the truth is he came face to face with some hard stuff. And some of you are there today. You're coming face to face with some hard stuff. But in both cases, it wasn't the circumstances that drove them to or away from God. Instead, it was their interpretation of those circumstances or their conclusion about God that determined their faith. So here's the question that's a little more nuanced than just how do I follow a God that's allowing bad things to happen is what determines how we interpret the circumstances of our life? How am I making these conclusions about God? How can I do that well? How is it that I interpret my circumstances? Is it just a choice? Is it something that I feel? Well, I believe there are two things that will determine how you interpret your circumstances. There are two things that will make the conclusion about God and will help you in that journey. Number one, it's just your worldview. And we're going to talk about that. And number two, it's who you're doing life with when the bad things happen that are going to help interpret and remind you of some things. So our worldview, factor number one, 
The worldview, the truth is, if I believe God is faithful because of my circumstances, and in other words, there's a direct correlation between the goodness of God and the goodness of my circumstances, then my faith will be unreliable. Because when life is good, he is good, and when life is not, he is not. And as we know, that can change from day to day. And if that's our worldview, the goodness of God is filtered through the lens of my circumstances, our faith will be unreliable. But there's a second worldview, and that is if I believe that God is faithful no matter my circumstances, well, there my faith can grow despite my circumstances, despite my surroundings. See, the worldview is a big part of it, but it's also those who I surround myself with. The second factor is who it is that I surround myself with during the midst of the difficult seasons of life. Because when my faith is down, and all of us are going to experience this, if you're not there, you will be. You may be coming out of this. The truth is we need people who will speak honestly to us and will remind us of God's past faithfulness. We need these people in our lives, and that's why I'm just telling you, I will say this to my dying day. That's why being in community, that's why being in a small group of some kind is so critical for us all. We aren't intended to do this alone, and we need the support of each other. I need your support. You need my support in order to be able to withstand the pain when it comes. See, Jesus had some friends. And there was one in particular that was a close friend of Jesus who had legendary faith. His name was John. He was called John the Baptist because he was always baptizing and he came before Jesus and he was announcing to others that Jesus was coming and when he finally saw Jesus, you know what he said? There he is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said, I am not even worthy of bending down and unlatching his sandals. He is the Messiah that's been promised by Isaiah. Bold faith, but when life got hard, all of a sudden John's faith struggled. And we're going to see a conversation between John and Jesus during the difficult, painful season of John's life where Jesus addresses this question, how do I trust a God when he's allowing bad things to happen to me? And I hope as we look at this conversation today, it'll be an encouragement to you because I know there are some of you who are in that season right now. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at this conversation together between Jesus and John. It's found in the book of Matthew chapter 11, and I hope you'll turn in your Bibles and look at it with me. If you don't have a Bible, there's there one in the pew. You can turn to page 791, and you'll see it with us there in your pew Bible. It's, it's uh, Matthew chapter 2, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, and we pick up this story. Again, John is like, here's the Messiah. And then all of a sudden, he gets unjustly imprisoned, and he doesn't think he's ever going to get out of prison. And all of a sudden, he's like, I don't know anymore. I don't know what I believe. And let's pick up where John doubts. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 2, it says, When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah... He sent his disciples, these are people who are following John, who he's mentoring, and he keeps saying, don't follow me, follow Jesus, you remember that? And now he's saying to these people who are following him, he goes, look, would you do me a favor, would you go to Jesus, and would you ask him this, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? I thought you were. But now that I'm here, I didn't expect to be here, I'm beginning to doubt. I'm beginning to wonder, is this even true? Is God faithful? 
Maybe you've been there, maybe you are there. And you can relate to John's doubt. He said, or should we expect someone else? Is there somebody else? This is John, this is a legendary giant of faith. He's beginning to question Jesus' divinity. Is Jesus, are you the Messiah? After all, I told everyone that you were, but this doesn't make sense. How would I end up in prison for, for unjustly? It looks like I'm going to be here for, for the rest of my life, perhaps. I didn't think following the Messiah, doing what you asked me to do would lead to this, and maybe that's where you are today. You're wondering, how can I trust God who allows bad things? Well, Jesus responds, and oh, his response. His response to John. He tells these disciples, I want you to go back to John, and this is what I want you to say. Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. He says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now you and I read that and we go, what? He asked if you're the one, and you're talking about the miracles that you're performing. But see, this answer triggered in John the remembrance that, oh yeah, Isaiah, the one that I had been preaching about, the Old Testament prophet, kept saying that whenever the Messiah comes, we will know he's the Messiah when, over and over throughout the book of Isaiah, there were these clear indicators. You will know he's the Messiah when the blind receive sight, when the lame walk, when the lepers are healed, when the deaf hear, when the dead are raised, and when the gospel is proclaimed amongst the poor, then you will know you have the real guide, the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, John, I know you're asking me, am I the one? Let me just tell you, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are healed. I'm telling you, the deaf hear, and... The dead are raised and the gospel is being proclaimed amongst the poor. And what he is saying is, I am the Messiah that Isaiah had predicted. And the very specific question that John is asking is, are you the one? And Jesus is saying, yes. And here's proof that I am the Messiah you claimed me to be. But, you notice what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't address his circumstances he didn't say anything about the fact that John is unjustly imprisoned he didn't say anything about hey John I'm going to break you out at 11 here's how it's going to go down right you know that's what John wanted to know are you the Messiah because if you're the Messiah you'll fix my circumstances instead he says yes I am the Messiah and then doesn't address his circumstances instead what Jesus does is he draws John's attention to God's broader activity in the world, and essentially he is saying to John, John, God drew in your heart the courage to say the Messiah is coming, and he has. And God's eternal redemptive plan is taking place, and you had a part in it. And God's eternal redemptive plan is continuing on. Salvation is here, past, present, and future And God's hand is unfolding in your lifetime, John. Isn't that something to celebrate? John, I know you personally are going through difficult circumstances now, but don't let your immediate circumstances, don't let your faith be swallowed up by what you see in your own life. Keep your eye on the bigger kingdom activity of God. Jesus is not only answering his question, but he's reminding us all 
how we navigate the difficult pain. And here's the thing that Jesus frankly says to John. Jesus says, Jesus reminds John and us that he wanted John's faith to grow more than he wanted John's circumstances to improve. I bet John didn't care for that. In the same way, when it comes to me and you, Jesus wants your faith to grow more than he wants your circumstances to improve. I don't like that any more than you do. And I bet that's not going to be on a t-shirt selling anywhere, right? God wants my faith to grow more than my circumstances to improve. But there is something freeing about this. When my circumstances don't determine my focus or my joy or, my, or God's faithfulness, when I begin to see as he reminded John to look at God's broader activity and who he is, Here's the really good news, though. Jesus is sympathetic to your pain. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he is near the brokenhearted and he is near the crushed in spirit. When his own friend Lazarus died, he actually went and cried and comforted those who cried. Jesus cares deeply about your pain and about mine, but he cares even more about your faith, your trust and your confidence. Because without it, It is impossible to please him. And to spend all eternity with the one who gave his son, oh, I want to, I not only want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, I want him to say, I'm pleased with you. With what I put in your hands, you continue to have confidence in me. You continue to trust me. Well, before we leave this conversation between John and Jesus, Jesus makes one more statement that is profound about this relationship between faith and circumstances. And I want you to see this. In verse 6, Jesus says something that's easy to miss. He says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of, say this last word with me, who's the me? Jesus. You realize what he's saying? He said, blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of Jesus. And you're like, what do you mean stumble? Like, you're a forgiver of sins. You're the lover of my soul. How would I stumble on account of you? And he's revealing something really important here because of what's happening to John, or in this case, not happening for John. That Jesus acknowledges that sometimes his activity can undermine our faith and cause us to stumble. Jesus is saying, There is stuff that he either does or allows that has the potential to weaken your faith and mine. After all, we know this is the case because in the story of one of his close friends, Lazarus, who I mentioned earlier, after he heard that his close friend Lazarus was deathly ill, you know what Jesus immediately did? He delayed his going to Lazarus, which unfortunately meant that Lazarus died. And that meant his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were grieving when Jesus showed up. And Jesus shows up to these grieving friends, and look what he says why he delayed allowing Lazarus' death. His words are found in John chapter 11, verse 15. It'll show up on the screen. It says, And for your sake, Jesus says, I am glad I was not there. Or I'm glad I delayed allowing Lazarus to die. Why? So that you may believe. Your trust and your faith would grow. In other words, Jesus is saying, 
I am willing for someone I love to die. I am willing for someone I love to have a heartbreak if it means their faith grows. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, this is hard to get your arms around. And I think there, when it comes to suffering, there are three kinds of groups of people. All start with an S. There are the simple, there are the scoffers, and there are the surrendered. And I just want to say as a church, as a pastor, my heart would be, I would rather you be the scoffer than the simple. I hope that we'll all get to the place of surrender. And if you're like most of us, that's a lifetime journey. Sometimes we're there and sometimes we're not. That's why we need each other. I need to borrow from your surrender sometimes and you need to borrow from mine. But I don't want us to be in the place of simple. The simple person that says, God is good. How do I know he's good? Because my life is good. And they haven't come face to face with pain yet. Simple. I just want to say, we don't ever want to be there. These are the people who scared me, whose faith hasn't yet been tested. And then there's the scoffer who says, I've come face to face with pain, and my worldview requires me to define God's faithfulness through my circumstances. And then there's the surrendered who says, there are things about this life I do not like. And I choose to trust him anyway. There are things I'll never understand that I open my hand and I say, God, you are faithful. Even when I can't see it. Even when there are things I don't understand. See, Jesus never came to John's rescue. In that prison, John was eventually executed. But he died with his faith intact. How? Because along the way, John concluded that God was faithful despite his circumstances. Others in his life reminded him that he's the Messiah. They reminded him of God's faithfulness, and he was able to hold on to hope. How do you trust God despite your pivotal circumstances? I'm gonna give you two ways that I think we can do this. Number one is simply just ask God. We've gotta ask God to help us grow in our trust, grow in our faith, grow in our confidence. Life is hard, God, I can't do this on my own, and if you're like me, my my reactive uh, posture is always, God, fix these circumstances. Get me out of prison, right, like John. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm going to keep praying that way, and I know you are too, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, could we also add to that, God, if you choose to leave me in this place, would you grow my faith and my confidence in you? And ask God to help grow our trust in him whether he changes the circumstances or not. Secondly, don't not only ask God, but would you allow others to remind you and me of God's past faithfulness? I forget because I get overwhelmed by what's in front of me and what I feel and how hard this is. And I need some of you to go, Mark, I'm telling you, I know but I also know he's faithful, and here's what he's doing in my life. And there's something about that that just lifts my spirit, lifts my head a little bit, and I see a broader activity of God's hand. I need you, and you need me. We need to be in community together. We don't get to do that in this kind of setting. We get to do that in small groups where we're in circles, where I hear from you, and you hear from others, and we borrow from each other's faith and your surrender. You see, at the end of the day, John the Baptist reminds us it is possible to have difficult circumstances and to trust God. 
Church history over the last 2,000 years is full of people who remind us it is possible to be in difficult circumstances and still trust God. And for me, Kevin Natale reminds me that it is possible to have difficult circumstances and still trust God. Say, well, who is Kevin? Well, on January the 12th, 1994, 14-year-old Kevin had one thing on his mind, basketball practice. And he was bending down to tie his shoes when he heard a commotion in the living room. And in the living room, his 26-year-old neighbor across the street, Brian, armed with a 9mm pistol, latex gloves, and a pair of handcuffs, came bursting through the door. And he demanded, where's Kevin? I said, where's Kevin? And Kevin hears the commotion. He comes into the living room, and he sees that Brian has a pistol in his hand. And then he sees Brian lift the gun toward him. And Kevin, full of terror, takes off running toward the dining room. And these would be his final steps. He hears the trigger, he hears the gun fired, and the bullet barely misses him and goes into the couch. But then the gun fires again, and Kevin feels a sting in the back of his neck, and he immediately falls onto the floor. And Kevin, in that moment, a 14-year-old boy, had his life drastically change. And Kevin went from being an active teenage boy to being paralyzed and being dependent upon others for basic necessities like using the restroom, having transportation with a specialized van, bathing, and getting dressed. Kevin Natali began to live life in a wheelchair. And in Fast forward the story, in 2013, I was sitting in a coffee shop with Kevin as he sat in his chair, and as one of his pastors, he and I were beginning to develop a a relationship and eventually a friendship, and Kevin was drinking a mocha frappuccino that day, and Kevin, of course, had to snap at it with his finger and his thumb because he was trying to get a better grip on it until he finally felt confident enough that he had it and he would lift it for a drink. That day, Kevin began to tell me about the internal wrestlings he had been having with God. See, for many years, he was trying to make a conclusion. What do I think about God considering these circumstances? How do I interpret this? He said, Mark, I spent 10 years angrier at God than Brian because I was angry at God for allowing Brian to shoot me. He said, I eventually turned to alcohol and drugs. But at some point, I became so tired. He said, I was tired of fighting it all mentally, and I just decided, I'm going to surrender. And he said, I'm going to trust God with a whole bunch of things I don't understand. And I remember when he said, I'm going to trust God because I'm just so tired. And I'm going to trust God from a wheelchair. And that allowed me to forgive Brian, he said. I said, so you forgave Brian for what he did to you? He goes, yeah, it took a while. He goes, at first I would always say, "I'll, I'll forgive Brian when I can walk again. But he said, when I 
concluded that God could be faithful even though I'm in a wheelchair, then I was able to forgive Brian. Well, his dramatic story didn't end there because a few years later, Kevin decided he wanted to go face-to-face with Brian, the person who shot him, who was in prison. And so he asked me if I would go with him. And I remember sitting inside those prison walls, Kevin and I, with Brian. And Kevin had one goal. I want to forgive Brian face-to-face. And I'll never forget it because even though we were accompanied by an armed guard, there were just the four of us in this room, we were in this cold, sterile cement cell. I felt like I was on holy ground. It it was like the holy of holies, instead of like a veil, it was a prison wall. Because I watched one man look another man in the eyes and say, Brian, I forgive you for what you did to me because Jesus forgave me of all my sins. And I remember Brian sitting there hearing this. I don't know where Brian's faith is, what his belief in Christ is, but as he sat there in his prison uniform, he he was kind of dumbfounded and he felt very awkward and he was stunned and he was honestly very silent. And after Kevin said what he came to say, at some point, Brian kind of whispered an awkward thank you. People over and over again after that conversation would ask Kevin, so how did Brian respond when you forgave him face to face? Assuming there was a celebration, there was a tearful reunion or some kind of emotional moment. But that wasn't the case. And Kevin would always say, I know that he heard me, but I didn't go there to get something from Brian. I went there to give something to Brian because of what Jesus gave to me. Now, on his way home that day from prison, Kevin wanted to stop at a beach because he was enjoying his freedom after forgiving. So there in Southern California, he stopped at the beach, and this picture was taken of Kevin after he had talked to Brian and forgiven him. And this past year, 2022, Kevin was diagnosed with cancer. And last month, at the young age of uh, 42, Kevin died. And I have the honor and the weight of getting to go there Saturday to officiate my friend's memorial. And I would sure appreciate your prayers. But last week I was talking to Kevin's dad, Bob, who said that two days before Kevin died he received a phone call from Brian in prison. And Brian was feeling guilty because he had heard that Kevin was on hospice. And so he called to tell Kevin, Kevin, I should be the one in that bed because of what I did to you. And Kevin, just so confident in his faith at this point, said, Brian, I forgave you. If you're still feeling guilt, that means you still need to turn to God. It was an unusual faith. Because Kevin's God never changed his circumstances. He never walked again. But he decided to trust God from a wheelchair. Kevin was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and we all prayed that God would heal him, but he didn't. So then Kevin decided to trust God from his hospice bed. 
And on December the 14th, 2022, Kevin entered heaven. And I'm convinced that God welcomed him with open arms and said, oh, Kevin, I'm so pleased with you and the faith that you displayed. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I will make you ruler over many things. Come and share in the master's happiness. And the wheelchair and cancer didn't make it there as Kevin walks the streets of gold with his creator, who he faithfully trusted with the heaviness of this life. And I share Kevin's story because I know there are many here who carry weight And I also know that it's much easier for me to stand here and teach that God is good despite bad in your life than it is to live it. But there are a cloud of witnesses, church. People like John the Baptist who were cheering me and you on. And now Kevin Natale adds his voice to these witnesses who were cheering us on and reminding us it is possible to trust him even in the pain. The pain that we will all have and what we conclude about God during the difficulties, that will determine our faith. So when we trust God during pivotal circumstances, even there, even then, our faith can grow. Even there, even then, our faith can grow. So if you're in pain today, how do you trust him? I believe it begins with you asking and, like Kevin did, wrestling with God. God, how do I interpret this? How do I conclude that you're faithful? But go to him and wrestle with him like David did in the Psalms. It's okay to ask him to change your circumstances, but also ask him to increase your trust, your faith, your confidence in him. And then I want to tell you, you've got to surround yourself with some other people who are on this journey too, who can remind you and you can remind them of his great faithfulness. I need him. You need him. We need him today. And I know there are many with something heavy in your life here today. And we need him more than ever. We need to call on him, not just to change the circumstances, but to depend on him if he doesn't. So church, I think we ought to make that our prayer today. Let's recognize the brokenness in our world. And let's grow our confidence in his faithfulness no matter what. And that can only be done through the lens of faith. And so with that said, I want to invite all of you to stand. I want to lead us in prayer. And then we're going to sing a prayer together to close today. Would you pray with me? God, I... God, we need you so much. Lord, it it, it seems so overwhelming sometimes to hear the pain in people's lives, to hear the, the weight that people are carrying. And there is just no way except we come to you and say, God, are you the one? As John said, and you remind us, God, of your faithfulness. You remind us of who you are and what you've done in eternity past and what you're doing around the world and what you will do in the future. So, Father, we need to learn, I need to learn to come to you with an open hand and say, here are my circumstances. Oh, but God, I want to trust you. I want to depend on you. Lord, I want to grow my faith in you. We want to please you. We want to make it to the end like these others. 
and our story be we were made a new creation in your sight. Not because life got easy, but because we trusted you more. Oh, for faith to trust you more. We need you, Father, today. Come in this in our hearts, God, and, and, and lead us and grow us and move us and shape us and make us more like you, I pray. In the power of your risen Son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.